Good evening and welcome to Silent Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie. I have a brand new guest on. His name is Tim Goldich. He is an author who has devoted the last 30 years to researching, pondering, and writing a four-book series on gender issues. The first book, Loving Men, Respecting Women, The Future of Gender Politics, was published in 2011 and is available on Amazon.com. The second book, Equal Partners, The History of Gender Equality, is due out in 2023. He has also created a series of YouTube videos under the umbrella title of Men Against the Wall. He is a board member of both the National Coalition for Men and of the Mankind Project, two organizations that variously support men politically and emotionally. He is NCFM vice president and president of the Chicago chapter of NCFM. He was one of the editors of NCFM's Transitions, a journal of men's perspectives, the longest running journal of its kind. Tim Goldich facilitates the personal growth work of men on New Warrior Training Adventure Weekends and of men and women on personal growth weekends called Path to Spirit. Tim's latest venture is the founding of a new internet-based organization calling itself Gender Equalist, Transforming Gender Political Space for Unity, fairness, and forgiveness. I totally welcome you to Slam the Gavel. And boy, this was an undertaking. You know, what got you involved in all of this? Well, I have no big gender political atrocity to report, you know, like so many that have gotten involved in gender politics have had some really deep personal traumas in, 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 around these issues. And then so they became obsessed with them. No, for me, uh, it was uh, it was just being a, a sort of an honorary part of a, a group of women. These five women. Uh, this was back in the uh, about 1980 on up through like about 1990 or so, and I uh, was just feeling sort of beat up by the feminist rhetoric, you know, just sort mm -hmm. of um, you know uh, one of one of these these friends of mine would have what i would call the feminist moment and you know she sort of take me aside i remember one I even wrote it up for my book in a shoe store you know going this is so you look at these uh, awful um foot killers uh, that i have to wear and they they cost more than your shoes you see and at the time like like men in general even still to this day uh, i had no clue about what my perspective was on all these matters, right? I just, I didn't have a, a PhD in, in masculism, you know, I didn't, I didn't take uh, men's studies in, in uh, college or university. So what did I know? So I went searching for something to give what I would thought was the, the other half, the other side of the coin or whatever, you know, and didn't find anything. Uh, they, uh, such books existed, but you know, they are obscurity. I didn't find them. So, um, I just said, well, if nobody's going to write this book, I will. And uh, fortunately, I was uh, two years invested in writing my own book before I discovered Warren Farrell's The Myth of Male Power, which sort of validated what I was all about and also um, made me realize that I was going to have to up my game if I was going to compete uh, on that level. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's how I got into it. So you think 
like the feminist movement, ERA, it really hasn't accomplished that much. Well, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. See, I'm of the opinion that technology, domestic technology, workplace technology, absolutely fundamentally changed our human world in such a way that I think the depolarization of the sexes was rendered inevitable. Um, to try and condense it real quick. Uh, yeah, and the world of men became more genteel, more um, safe, uh, less arduous, less hazardous. Um, for the first time in history, uh, muscle power was replaced by machine power. So in so many ways, the world of men became more conducive and more inviting to women than it had ever been before. And meanwhile, in the world of women, you had domestic technologies and birth control, uh, which uh, freed women up in a, in a new way. So, um, yeah, I'm not a, not a fan of feminism. Uh, I think to, to have been truly constructive, feminism would have needed to be equalism. We need to look at both sides. We look, need to look both at how uh, women are less respected than men, but also at how men are less loved mm -hmm. and, and looked at it in a, in a balanced way. But that would have been inconceivable uh, 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 1848 when the Seneca Falls you know, meeting took place. That's, those things were just not, not possible. Uh, even today, it's very difficult to understand that female power equals male power. Mm -hmm. That male victimization equals female victimization. Uh, that's a very hard sell out there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I believe it's true. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's it's neck to neck. Yeah. 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 My sound bite is it all balances out. When I say mm -hmm. in the benefits and joy and the liabilities suffered. And the power of the victimization, the freedoms, the constraints, the joys, the sorrows, the good, the bad, the light and shadow, all balances out between woman and man, and it always has. Mm -hmm. And um, to understand that, you have to understand that uh, the enormous consequences and vast repercussions suffered by women for being less respected have been matched by the enormous consequences and vast repercussions suffered by men for being less loved. And, in, and the power also, the women the female power that comes with being more loved has been matches the the male power that comes with being more respected so what we do in the future is up to us but i think it's important to look at the past and the present in terms of a of a balance and also understand that a balanced system is not the same thing as a perfect system that that the system is is very imperfect and there's enormous amounts to 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 uh to negotiate, to uh, uh, um, critique, to to address all manner of, of gender political issues. Uh, I would just suggest that we first, woman and man, sort of call it even, and then take a second look at all these gender issues as matters of shared responsibility. You know, how did men become less loved? I, 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 I always thought, you know, men are loved like as if women are loved. I don't uh, not to sound stupid, but I just I didn't know. 
Well, we don't really look at or concern ourselves with what men face for being less loved, even though it's very obvious in the family court, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, um, we don't because men do not elicit the necessary empathy that would cause us to look at what men suffer mm -hmm. in, in, uh, along the love axis. And men themselves contribute to this. Uh, men don't want to know about their own victimization. You know, they just, it's, it's, it's the antithesis of what it means to be a man is, you know, you, you can't be a man and be a victim. I mean, uh, it's, it's just, um, they're too contrary. And, and um, we're as a, as a human society, we, we sort of have relied on men to be sort of, uh expendable or the gender political term is disposable uh in war hard hazardous labor in uh, prisons and uh, uh homelessness uh in terms of uh, men being sort of divorced from their own emotions especially vulnerable emotions um we've needed them that way because we need a faction of humanity that, that's going to be ego and invested in toughness strength and courage because somebody has to fell the trees and uh, move the sewage and uh, do the long distance trucking and tuck point the buildings and, you know, um, protect us all from, uh, from the uh, air quotes, uh, enemy out there. And uh, so, um, so this is, this is, how, this is the whole human system that we inherit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying we're stuck with it by any means. I'm just saying, uh, let's look at the past realistically as to what what happened. What How, how did we get here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, uh, these generations are so dysfunctional. I think that's contributed to it, it all evolving out this way for both sides. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that the gender system was functional for thousands of years. It got us along. It got us through. It was efficient. Uh, in, in a world where pre-science, we didn't understand anything. We were constantly baffled by why things happen and, and, and having very little predictability. I think it was uh, a comfort to humans to to think, well, men are like this and women are like that. And then you've got something sort of predictable about it. And I think that when the, the major emphasis, uh, uh, the deepest need of men and women was largely just around survival. And uh, most people did not survive you know, past mm -hmm. 30 or 40, you know, so mm -hmm. it, it was a, it was a, preoccupation how do we survive and men and women got together in a, a a bonded pair as partners to help each other survive and so it worked it, uh, there was a world of men and a world of women and it worked but now it, it doesn't work anymore mm -hmm. um uh or at least as well as it did and um we're forced to take a, a deeper look at it and feminism got the ball rolling but Unfortunately, it, it created gender politics under the uh, assumption that men have the power, women are the victims, man bad, the overempowered oppressor, woman good, the innocent victim. And that resonates deeply on like psychologically, emotionally, 
instinctually and it's it's a deep match for eros this um <clears throat> this whole a man of the power women are the victims uh narrative in its way it's a it's an erotic story because it's the story of uh empowered alphas mm-hmm. uh, uh hot hunky heroes coming to the rescue of sweet weak uh beautiful uh innocent damsels in distress and mm-hmm. you know that's that's a staple of the myths and the mythos that go all the way back right i mean that's mm-hmm. so so against these psychic forces uh, uh logic fact and logic uh, don't stand a chance and so so we've been uh we've been re- we've been embracing all the facts and truths that verify men of the power one of the victims and we've been rejecting uh the mirror opposite facts and truths of female power and male victimization uh, they don't because they don't feel good they don't they just don't feel good to us well even in you know they're they're still making films you know like you were talking about they're still perpetuating that the men will say the damsel in distress yes it's still it they're still playing into it they're not I guess fixing it or putting in a different viewpoint. Um, well, well, now wait a minute. Now, I mean, there's there's a huge push toward uh, women as the uh, the hero, woman as the indomitable spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has been a, a, an enormous pushback. Um, I wish the pushback were more conscious. I wish it were not so vengeance oriented. Uh, mm-hmm. But but there has been a. a a, a huge effort to present women as uh, the heroes and uh, unfortunately they don't usually come to the rescue of men though <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you had aaron brockovich which was a good film uh-huh. she, she was the hero um trying to think you know the marvel uh yeah with uh wonder woman <laughs> sure and captain marvel and yeah. uh and look at the Star Wars. You got uh, Ray, the character of Ray. She's she's a virtual infinity being. She can do anything, right? For the first time she tries, she just picks up a lightsaber for the first time in her life and defeats a Sith Lord with it. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're really kind of going a little overboard with it, um, mm-hmm. trying to compensate for the past. Well. I know you probably didn't watch the movie Twilight, you know, the Twilight <laughs> sagas. <laughs> but, no, I haven't seen them. Okay, well, that was another one where the male was protecting the female at all times. Huh. Uh, you have to watch it because, you know, it's got some good um, effects where these p- people turn into wolves. It's really cool. <laughs> Did you see Game of Thrones? <laughs> yes, I saw some Game of Thrones. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And- it's very good uh, right and the thing is even there you know men were protecting women yes and yes but notice though that that took place in a, some kind of imaginary ancient world mm-hmm. where everything was brutal oh, yeah. you know that's a key piece of it yes and the in the, the the brutal past uh it was definitely incumbent upon men to protect women especially pregnant women and children i mean that's certainly been uh very important uh, part of what uh, men have been all about historically it's just that uh um in a sense all this this danger that's 
used to be all around us from the elements and from animals and from i don't know what marauding bands of uh of bad guys or whatever um pretty much isn't not the case anymore protection is no longer a, a premium um um asset or um, commodity it's uh so so yeah when if you want to dig into the traditional gender schema these days it works best if you go to into an imaginary world mm -hmm. city yeah which um also brings in um how did male emotional dependence on women happen because well, I, it's it's clear uh, it's, uh, I, I didn't mean to cut you off oh, you? go ahead no no go ahead well it's you know it, it came with the roles the, the, the that men and women played and and the, and the roles i i believe just derived out of biological necessity and then they became uh, uh augmented uh, by our culture mm -hmm. But uh, for millennia, uh, men needed to be stoic and deal with the, the harshest, most hazardous realities. And, and then when he got home, he needed the emotional support of his woman, just as she needed his material support. Mm -hmm. uh, so that became ingrained. And that's been going on for so long, there's probably instinctual elements to it. Mm-hmm. And all of this plays out in family court in very twisted ways. Yes. Twisted beyond um sadistic. Yeah, uh incredible. Right. People don't know. No. <laughs> no idea how bad it is in, in family court. You hear stories and you can hardly believe them, but uh it's true. The the whole thing has been corrupt corrupted beyond our it's, it's a money-making machine. Uh, it's um, the morality and ethics have been just abandoned. Uh, people know this and they don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you, you had Chris Felder on. Mm -hmm. and, and he's, you know, talked with so many of these people mm -hmm. deep in the system. And they, they know how bad it is. They know how corrupt it is. Uh, but they don't know how to fix it. Well, I still find it interesting that there are people that actually believe that the family court system is not corrupt. <laughs> I just like right? I know. Uh, well, you see, we're not allowed to uh, put reporters in there. We're not allowed to put cameras in there. There's no, it, it's sealed off. It's hermetically mm -hmm. sealed. So how, how do we, how could we know what's going on in, in family court? So I understand that in England, uh, they're going to do, uh, the intention is to to try to allow uh, uh, journalists, reporters uh, into the family courts. Uh, I don't uh, not with cameras, I believe, but but at least that they'll be able to report in full and not just what the court allows. Mm -hmm. So they may act as couriers to let the general public know what happens in these family courts. Well, I know. Zoom and well, because of COVID, that opened up the doors for Zoom to get in there, and people have, you know, had court watchers go in and watch what's going on, which has been excellent. 
Really? I didn't know about that. That's yeah, interesting. I've been on several court watching and uh, watching these behaviors. I have written up a judge twice because he muted the uh, pro se litigant while she was giving her final arguments while the opposing attorney was rolling her eyes and smirking. So I had to write her up. Wow. Uh, it just didn't end. Um, and then I went on another one where the judge muted the father when he was trying to explain something. I thought, okay, all right, we, we need cameras in the courtrooms and yes. tamper-proof mics, totally tamper-proof. Right, it, right. So, you know, so this this footage that is 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 getting out of court is that um, uh, legal? I mean, or is it or is it people that are sneaking uh, this well, footage out? Well, when you go in there, uh, they document your name, and you're observing, you know, court watching. So there's a list of people that even I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just going in there to watch these cases. And uh, these judges don't know what personality disorders are. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. This abundantly clueless. Borderline personalities. Right. Uh, because I'm watching these two cases down in Miami, Dade, Florida. I'm just like really shocked at how a judge can be biased against the mother and then he can turn around and do another case where he's biased against the father. Uh -huh. I'm like, he's crazy. <laughs> but there's yeah. like no rhyme or reason to, you know, what's going on down there. It's just so corrupt. And I've had other um, fellows on my show where they're saying it's the bias is neck to neck. It's the, they're going after everybody. It's open season in family court. Is it really? So so what is it just money driven now, you think, or what's yes. going on? Uh -huh. Yes. Um and it's also if well someone had said, well, whoever has the most money wins. Well, that's not always true. Um I've seen we'll say uh people make we'll say two hundred thousand a year, and then they'll go after the other party for child support. <laughs> which makes no sense when they when the other party was caused to lose their job how uh -huh. are they going to pay over a thousand dollars a month in child support when they were caused to lose their job and the judges don't care the wherefores and whys of how this individual lost their job well i would assume this is primarily being targeted men are being targeted uh, in that way aren't they or no women are really? too oh yeah it's neck to neck in fact, Jeez. I was a victim of this BS myself, um, you know, because my ex is vice president of a foreign country, <laughs> vice pre president of a company of a foreign country, oh. and uh, his wife works in the courthouse, so that's convenient, and um, they had this thing rigged, and I that's why oh. I wrote my book, but um, I'm hearing from everybody, even men, that this whole thing is neck to neck. I've seen it even on these Zoom watches that, yeah, I mean, you would think, okay, so if, if a judge is, we'll say, nailing a father in this case, yeah. well, he must be doing it to, to fathers. No, no, then he turns around and nails this mother. <laughs> like going, what is he? I so mean, what do you think? Is he, is he just going like, I, I like this guy, but but this 
woman I don't like or this woman I like and this man I don't like or something like that? Is it- I, yeah, I think these judges are identifying with certain personality disorders that fit their own personality. Oh, my God. I think it goes deeper than um, bias. I think it, I think, okay, I think it was biased at one time, but now the pendulum has swung back and they are going after women, but they're going after men as well because it's a moneymaker. Yeah. And, you know, even if, say, a judge grants custody to a parent who makes over 200000 a year, but then says to the other parent, you're going to pay child support even you know, we don't care you lost your job. You're, we're still estimating you at this income. They're not uh-huh. being rash. It's they don't. Uh-huh. People say, "Well, you can't get blood out of a turnip." Oh, yes, they can. Well, that's right. If you threaten someone with uh, serious uh, imprisonment, uh, they'll scrape money absolutely any way they can. Uh, but but that's just. Oh my! Well. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I hear I hear the stories of abuse um, from the sources I know. It's it's mostly men that are targeted, but maybe that's not true anymore. Uh, for one thing, you know, it used to be that men made more money, and really they don't anymore. You know, women are are graduating and getting uh, the advanced degrees at much higher rates than men are, mm-hmm. and uh, never married women uh, make a lot more money than uh, their their male counterparts. Uh, and so um, many women are now the breadwinners within families. So, yeah, why not go after her if she's got the money? Mm-hmm. And they're using, as you know, they're using these kids as pawns. Yeah, terrible. Right. Child abuse, terrible child abuse. Yeah, and if it, it's, it could be any type of child abuse, but mostly, I think mostly it's psychological child abuse. Yeah. And. Uh, these judges, I don't know, they've got to get it together because we're building more prisons. And I, I see why. Well, that's right. Of course, uh, prisons have become a growth industry. That that happened quite a long time ago. It's been privatized. So people make money. There's profit in, in owning and operating a prison. And so mm-hmm. if you build the prison now, you've got this pressure to fill it. And that's disgusting because this can be... Um, nipped in the bud um for instance okay i know people want 50 50 shared and but that's not cookie cutter every case is different every case is different right even if okay say a judge just says 50 50 but you've got a personality disorder that is going to work their brainwashing methods or whatever they're doing on that child then when the other parent gets this kid they've got to deprogram and try to have a nice five days on or whatever the situation is you know and or yeah. that parent is constantly texting the, the kid this is what was happening in my oh. case as well when it was my time to have oh, the games and games. well and as you well know many of these personality disorders can be very charming these mm-hmm. these sort of um sociopathic is, is, a, oh, yeah. is a strong term but you know these they're they can charm like crazy oh, definitely um 
In fact, my ex commanded a meeting of nine teachers at the middle school, and uh, I didn't know about it. I get a call from the principal. And he said, why weren't you at the meeting? I said, what meeting? Well, didn't your ex tell you? I said, why would he tell me anything? Well, that's right. And they should know that. For yeah, right. And that is such dollars if they don't get it. You know, of course, they need to reach out to you. And, you know, not all men are sociopaths because I'm helping a lot of guys. I see a lot of guys getting screwed over. But there are women also that are sociopaths and are destroying their own kids' lives because yeah. they want to tick off the other parent. Come on. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You'll use a child to punish the other parent. Yeah. And um, I don't know why these judges can't see a personality disorder. Why can't they see it? I guess they're not trained to. Well, but they have, I mean, okay, family court judges, from what Judge Judy said, are um, a dumping ground for morons. That's what she called family court judges. <laughs> well, they certainly have almost no accountability. That's for sure. They're there. Yeah, they're. And it's like you want men to be emotional and emotionally available. And, you know, after I was divorced, I would date guys and they would not be emotionally available. They just because they had been through some weird relationship or their wife had cheated on them and they're just somehow detached, which is sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's been a coping mechanism for men is a stoicism, mm -hmm. you know, um, both see the, see the, the, the two sexes are equal partners in the human system and they each apply an equal overall force of influence in it are equally responsible for outcomes. And one of the, on the positive side, I think women and men have uh, inspired each other. I think they've inspired each other to greatness in the human system. I, you know, Camille Paglia once said, if there had never been men, we'd all still be living in grass huts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think if it's equally true, if there had never been women, we'd still be living in grass huts. I think that men and women inspire each other. Uh, man looks at, at woman and, and sees a, a kind of ownership of beauty, grace, goodness, home, family, parenting, uh, basically all things along the love axis mm -hmm. and feels inferior to her. And through that, he feels a deep need to perform, achieve and succeed his way into having what women are, are empowered to demand of him. And then looking in the mirror opposite, women look over at men and they seem to take an ownership of intellect, competence, prestige, toughness, strength, courage, all things along the respect axis. And so they also feel a deep need to uh, compensate. And and makeup is quite literally making up for, uh, you know, with a, for the ways that women feel in, inferior to men. Mm -hmm. Both sexes feel both inferior and superior to their opposite sex. And uh, that's been a, a source of, of great light when it inspires us to, to rise to the demands of the other and a source of great darkness uh, when each sex sort of enables the emotional addictions of the other. 
mm. and a codependent sort of dance. So, as in all things, there's the light side and the shadow side. I think it's, don't you think it's it's from how people are raised and people are, you know, sometimes raised not in a good environment anyway? Well, sure, that's the, so, so now we're going down the, the nature nurture rabbit hole, right? And that's yeah. like a bottomless pit. That's like Alice falling forever in this with nature, nurture, you know, which is which, you know, what, which one usurps the other under what circumstances, uh, uh, which one's primary under what circumstances, uh, you know, are these, are these tethers to our um, gender roles? Are they, are they real? Are they elastic? Uh, what, these are the deep questions about gender, about, uh, uh, nature nurture is fascinating i mean that's that's a whole a whole ocean of stuff mm -hmm. uh, uh, but yeah of course now looking at it from the from the nurture side sure um you know men and women since the pleistocene we've we've been born we've been born uh with the biology, the the, uh, the 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 social conditioning, the roles uh, that we've been assigned uh, at birth, mm -hmm. and uh, neither sex has been any more empowered than the other to uh, uh, break free of the the concurrent fate that goes with that. Um, we've now reached a point where our awareness is high enough that we can look at these things. We can't, you know, it's only been fairly recent in human history. We've even been able to ponder such things and, and wonder uh, what, what might we preserve and what might we change and that, and that it's up to us, mm -hmm. you see. And I don't think there was awareness of that until fairly recently in uh, in the history mm -hmm. so when you're writing i know you have a book coming out in 2023 yeah you know um can you tell us a little bit about that or sure well it's called uh equal partners the history mm -hmm. of gender equality and um it basically talks about some of the things I've already talked about, about looking at the human system in terms of a, a partnership, a male-female partnership. Uh, I'm calling the the uh, patrimatra uh, matriarchy. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's a patrimatra census. Sometimes it's a consensus. Sometimes it's a male-female consensus. Mm -hmm. Other times it's a it's a balance of male-female power. Um. And um, see, to me, what I'm all about as a gender equalist, it's all about woman and man calling it even. It's all about this vision that I don't think I'll live to see, but this future in which woman and man basically accord each other's politicized perspectives equally and agree to call it even and agree that the gender system is what it is as a result of a co-equal co-partnership 
and that there's really no one to blame. There's really no reason for intersex rage, rancor, and resentment. That it's now time to understand ourselves as, as in a partnership and to work together. Um, it's, it's about viewing gender issues as uh, matters of shared responsibility and also to view them as, as mirrored. Um, for example, anorexia. See, so what might be the mirror opposite of anorexia? Well, if we looked to men starving themselves, we won't find it. But you see, as men and women are the same, but different, so the, uh, uh, so the issues are the same, but different. And if uh, anorexia is women uh, pursuing a, um, a self-destructive, perhaps even fatal path in their efforts to uh, achieve a societal ideal of a quote-unquote Barbie doll figure, mm -hmm. uh, then um, the mirror opposite would be uh, males pursuing uh, um, a self-destructive and sometimes fatal path. Uh, in their efforts to achieve um, a societal ideal of uh, a G.I. Joe physique. Mm -hmm. So you see uh, the women are starving themselves, the men are, are uh, abusing steroids and human growth hormones. But but you see, they, they sort of parallel each other. Uh, on the one hand, we have um, uh, sexual harassment. On the other hand, we have economic harassment. Uh, on the one hand, men seem somehow more important than women. On the other hand, women seem somehow more valuable than men. Um, um, men more respected but less loved. Women more loved but less respected. We need to see start seeing these issues as as mirrored, uh, so that we we can come together as gender politicians and discuss these issues without getting triggered, without getting so worked up emotionally we need to be able to maintain rationality and uh you know uh, when discussing these things even though they're they're deeply emotional see as a as a gender politician i'm fascinated by all things gender and i i i i want to hear uh, about sexual harassment i want the details i want a woman to explain it to me i want her to tell me all about what that feels like and how it occurs and i'll absorb it like a sponge mm -hmm. but you see i don't want to discuss sexual harassment with a, a feminist because she's too biased mm -hmm. she believes men have the power and women are the victims but you see in discussing these issues with a fellow gender equalist she knows that i know that she knows that i know that uh there's a matter of shared responsibility in all this and that there's a, a mirror opposite. So when we're through talking about sexual harassment, we can talk about economic harassment, about how men, uh, uh, wealthy men uh, are often targeted for uh, false accusations, extortion, uh, false paternity. Um, there are women that, uh, in fact, I knew one who, uh, they marry a wealthy man with the preconceived intention of having a couple of kids with him, uh, divorcing him, mm -hmm. accusing him of something, and um, keeping the house, keeping the kids, and uh, getting rid of him. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, 
these both uh, sexual harassment and economic harassment run a gamut from men paying for dates, you know, harmless thing, or, you know, sexual harassment. It's like, oh, you look great in that uh, green dress, uh, Mary, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right? you know? Um, so all the way to um, rape, you know, so... Um, but these these things need to be understood as there, there's a there's a there's a balance, some kind of uh, I almost think there's a metaphysics involved where, uh, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And uh, these these things parallel each other. Um, but to do that, we need to love men enough to empathize with them and we need to respect women enough to hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't see any signs that we're really prepared to do that yet. I think it's because there are more personality disorders out there, I think, than there ever have been. That's my opinion. Well, that's interesting. Do you think that has anything to do with sort of the breakdown of family and the lack of fathers? Yes, and even even lack of mothers because... You know, my kids were taken away from me based on lies that I was later exonerated of. Um, it's a, you know, when these personality disorders and whatever they are, they could be high functioning borderline, high functioning bipolar, oh, high sure. functioning, whatever, autism. Well, super functioning, in fact. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, I had worked with nurses that were high functioning bipolar. Uh -huh. So, and I mean, that's an incredibly stressful job, you know, uh, but not in, when I worked in the ER, there wasn't any of that, but um, I don't know. I think there really is more um, personality disorders. I think parents are perpetuating these personality disorders, even, well, even if there is a divorce, of course, that you drag your child through family court, then that will also enhance a personality disorder in the child. Yeah, of course. But and also there's talk about uh, every child being special, uh, contributing to sort of a narcissism. Yes, yes. In fact, um, even an, in an intact marriage, you can these these parents are saying oh you know we're so proud of the young woman you've become and yeah. it's like wait a minute because you know you're, this is all on facebook well what did she do oh you know she she's a cheerleader and i'm like but did she win a math uh, like a award i mean i would never i never said to my child oh i'm so proud of the man you've become and because what you're doing is you're inflating this kid's ego. <laughs> Why would you do this? Create a narcissist. Yeah. yeah. You know, in, in fact, my son had to forfeit winning. Um, he won something in his welding class. But the teacher took him aside and said, you know, I, you deserve the award, but I need to give it to Johnny over there because he won't take it well that he's not winning an award. Oh geez. Now, I, yeah. So there's so much for meritocracy, right? Right. And uh, my son told me about this later after the fact, and I said, "How'd you handle that?" He said, "I just who cares." It's like, no, you should you should have fought that injustice. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I wasn't there. I was not in that conversation. But uh, that's just not acceptable. Everyone gets a 
a medal. Everyone gets a prize. We can't hurt anybody's feelings. Sorry, but you know, life is hard. And if you worked hard for that medal, then you get the medal. Yes, right. Well, I'm going to say something that might not be popular, but uh, I think it has something to do with the feminizing of, uh, of the whole school system. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I can only say that I was not really in that school system when my ex took over. I, I don't know if, if I can even, you know, like speak to that because um, as a non-custodial parent, you're completely looked down upon even by people in, working in the office, much less the principal. Well, you have rectified that situation, haven't you or haven't you? Well, all my kids have aged out, but when we were doing uh, this, yeah, you know, they're like, oh, we can't give you that information. Like, for instance, when my son broke his leg at gym class, I'm getting a call later from one of my friends to let me know he was in the ER with a broken leg. I was last to know. And it's like, it's like um, these women are even doing it to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, the non-custodial uh, parent is just treated uh, horribly. It's just like a wallet or, a, you know, it's just a, um, a sperm donor or egg donor, as the case may be, and uh, doesn't, doesn't factor. It's, I, I, I've heard it, it said that one reason that courts don't like joint custody is because they like one parent to have be have the decision making, uh, so that the courts will not be bothered with uh, the disputes between uh, husband and wife. Um, the the husband, uh, one or the other, has legal custody, and that that parent has the decision making and uh, leaves the, the court alone. I don't know if that's true, but that's one of the many things I've heard. Well, I think it's you know. Um... I guess whoever gets custody of these kids will run into that school first and make it quite clear. Here's the paperwork. Yeah. Have full custody of Johnny <laughs> and the other parent, you know, everyone's saying, well, how what happened to that parent? They must've done something really bad to have their kid taken away. So when right. that parent calls and, and asks about Johnny, uh, you know, um, you know, I, I mean, I've even been yeah. hung up on. So, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to say. I really. Well, it's, geez, I mean, the only about the only hope I can see. I mean, um, guys like Chris Felder are, are doing a Herculean effort to try and bring more fairness uh, to the family court system. Um. But perhaps about the only thing that can really break this thing open is if if there were if uh, the press were allowed in and mm -hmm. could record and and report on what's going on and people could see it and hear it for themselves and raise the official understanding of what goes on in family court. Oh, I agree. I agree. That needs to happen. And I also believe family court should just be abolished and take it down to the civil level, because if people are going to call out false accusations of anything, it needs to be in civil court where there can be a jury and uh, family court accomplishes really nothing but just running people through a, a, a mill and 
installing personality disorders in these kids? Well, a po another point I'd like to make is why it's all leans toward corruption. So, and false accusations and so on. And why, uh, ex-husbands and ex-wives act out in the worst ways is because uh, they're they're threatened with what might be considered the worst thing that could possibly happen, uh, losing their children. Mm -hmm. And uh, that threat is so terrible that it certainly invites people to act out in the worst ways to prevent that from happening and uh, you know if it's got to happen make sure it's the other parent that it happens to not me mm -hmm. and um so that that system of of granting one parent the the all-important legal um um uh custody physical custody um invites the worst sort of corruption that way uh, you know as you as you well know uh, it's the most awful thing that could happen to someone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it's it's almost worse than being threatened with death mm -hmm. uh, yeah so there's no surprise that the, the parents are going to act out in, in awful ways if that's the threat right and you know, people can get along. I mean, I've had on my podcast these two parents that have exes, and they all get along. In fact, I saw um, at a graduation party, the father talking to the ex-husband, they, they were both playing that that game where you throw the beanbag, they were, they were talking, having a beer and people, but they're, they're mentally healthy. Yeah. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, you don't have to run into a courtroom because you're getting a divorce. You could each do it separately with an attorney. Or uh -huh. I, I understand that there's there's difficulties with doing that depending on the state. Is that true? Possibly. Others. You know, I, I mean, um, but but people can just divide assets and yeah. share the kids. And I think what scares people is the the money issue of child support and people you know if they decide on a figure and you know the ones helping the other one out will say okay uh -huh. so you can go on your merry way but when that person meets someone say who works in a courthouse or knows the workings of the, the system they start chirping in that person's ear. Why are you paying them that much in child support? Why? Okay. And then that person starts getting riled up and turning into a personality disorder based on that one's involvement. People have to stop the third party chirping in the ear. And, you know, if it's working and it had worked for us for 10 years, co-parenting until this woman inserted herself into mm -hmm. this relationship. I mean, we could have been fine with kids with no personality disorders. We really could have been. Uh -huh. So, you know, it's it's my fault. I set them up on a date. Everybody knows it. I totally may a culpa that one. But um, that's that's the worst thing people can do. If if people are co-parenting and it's going smoothly, just shut up. That includes uh -huh. grandparents. That uh -huh. includes because you know once. 
once there begins a fight in these courtrooms where there's no fairness, you know, um, even even for instance, my son told the judge he wants to go back to 50-50, you know, back and forth between the houses like we had done for 10 and, years. And the, and the judge wouldn't allow it? Is that right? Is that what you um, said? He listened to the kid, but then he came out and twisted my son's words and used it to their own false narrative. I've got it in transcript. Uh-huh. And even my lawyer came out and said, um, the judge twisted his words. Yeah, I mean, I get the impression that the whole legal system does its damnedest to pervert the, the relationship between the exes uh, uh, mm-hmm. to suggest um, accusations, you know, they'll, they'll sort of keep prompting, like, you know, um, did he ever raise his voice? Did he ever raise, you know, those kinds of questions? And mm-hmm. um, it's there's just so much money to be made. Oh, yeah. And um, if... Mm-hmm. If the um, if the exes settle amicably out of court, um, nobody gets that money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think it's not that easy for for exes to just do a healthy negotiation and split the things 50-50 and be and be fair with each other when there's so many nefarious little uh, I don't know mm-hmm. influences that that want to get them fighting and paying mm-hmm. lawyers. You know, I think it's also the lawyer, whoever picks, because uh-huh. my divorce lawyer says, okay, so um, I'll get the settlement or whatever from his lawyer. And then I'll look at it and, you know, we'll, we just whatever talked about it, you know, and I just signed off and everything was hunky dory for practically 10 years. Uh-huh. So things, uh-huh. you know, I think it's also like his opposing attorney, was also of the personality of the judge, very um, oppositional, defiant, um, very dramatic, uh, perpetual liar. Uh, the lies spewed out of his mouth. Whoever shoots out the first lie is going to win. Mm. And that's the first thing he did when we walked in there. And then when I went pro se, that really ticked him off. And it got to the point where it gets that he was more personal. In fact, my well, my understanding was, about the pro se is that's a go between between the children and the parents and the, and the oh, court. I'm sorry. That's when a, a parent represents themselves as a pro se litigant. Oh, thank you for clearing that up. Okay, that's sorry. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but when that happened, that ticked them off because the court doesn't like these pro se litigants because they're not paying into the system as you go. Right. With, um, but. My counselor even said to me that he's. He, she said it's not really between you and your ex anymore. This attorney has it in for you. It's him. Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, but you know, the ex can stop this at any time. Hmm. I, I I don't know what to say. I, it's full of personality disorders that create more personality disorders. Yeah. Yeah. See, aren't you yes. glad you talked to me? <laughs> well, yes, yes. <laughs> I, um, I'm a gender generalist. So I try to know something about everything to do with gender. Uh, but yeah, family court is a its own bailiwick, and it's huge. And I only I only know some of what goes on with that. 
Yeah, it's it's got to it's got to stop because it's just destroying kids, and it's causing parents to commit suicide as well as kids. And these judges don't care. Yeah. Um, if I can go to a court watch and point out the personality disorder, <laughs> I mean, come on, it's easy to put. It's easy to see uh-huh. why. They're not seeing it because they know another parent makes a lot of money. Yeah. That must be it. Must be. Or Uh, they're being paid off. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's gotten to a point where I think the, there's pressure mounting on the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know how long it'll take before it's exposed. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, but there's, there's millions out there that have been the victims of uh, family court. But then okay. I understand that there there's ways of silencing these people. That the, once they get through the whole ordeal, they they sign some kind of a, a court agreement that they won't talk about the case publicly. Or something. And I think Chris uh, Felder was telling me about that. I, I'm sure you know. <laughs> I'm sure there are uh, judges that will do that, but. I heard that is not even constitutional. You have your first right, uh, first amendment rights and a judge can't say you can't talk about your case, but you know, if they're threatening you with jail, I guess, you know, it depends on how scared you are. It depends if you'll stand up and say, I'm going to talk anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I won't keep you too much longer. Is there anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> oh, geez. Just that it's been a pleasure. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking with you, uh, Marianne. I learned a lot and um, really appreciate what you're doing to try and address something that is destroying the lives of millions. Well, I'm glad to have you on and I'd like to have you on again. Sure. Especially, you know, when your book comes out, too, as well. Uh-huh. Um, well, hey, uh, don't jump off. Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms that in turn perpetuate parental alienation. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here in the future with Tim Goldich and other exciting guests. Thank you so much. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you.